It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who's been watching some League One. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. It's not the most entertaining of uh, of, <clears throat> of tables of... Uh, yeah, I don't know. He, 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 I did a video <laughs> on Troy Parrot. <laughs> That's all you need to know. We'll come to that in a moment, actually. Uh, but first... For the final time in March, we've been very proud to be sponsored all of this month by Pleatees. Uh, we've spoken about them a lot. We really like Pleatees. We like their brand. We like their clothing. That's what they are. They're a clothing brand specifically for Spurs fans. Really unique, unusual designs, some of which are tie-dye, which uh, which I know Nathan certainly approves of. I do too. Uh, you should check them out, Pleatees.com. It is spelt P-L-E-A-T-E-E-S. It's a reference to David Pleat, who, of course, was a manager for Spurs several times over. And um, this week, they're doing a giveaway. So if you go to their Twitter, which is at Pleatees, uh, all you need to do is like the tweet where they mention the giveaway, follow them, and tag a friend, a Spurs-supporting friend, under their tweet, and you might win a Pleatees shirt. If you did want to buy some Pleatees Clubber, They've created a discount code for Extra Inch listeners. It is extra 20 and that will get you 20% off. So do go to pleatees.com and have a look and support them. They are good people. They're proper coys. Uh, been lovely working with them. Hope to hope to work with them again in the future. And Nathan, so you've done a Toy Parrot video. Tom Hendy says, The Parrot analysis was incredible. If Milton Keynes don't come up and we are looking at a championship loan, what about Middlesbrough under Wilder? Quite possibly. I'm not sure what the sort of makeup of the squad is at the moment, whether they, I mean, I think it's really important to prioritize, um, like a team we think are very likely to play him, um, over just sort of a team who played good football. I do think so. I sort of alluded to this in, in the intro, like, uh, Dons are like a, a, you know, a good side in League One. Um, but like, 
some of the final third players like lacking. And I think if if Parrot could go to a team who are like uh, gonna pass the ball around in the mm. final third a bit, and he can have some sort of interaction there, that'd be really good for him. If he can do that in the Championship or even uh, even Premier League, um, that'd be really good for him. I think is the next step. So yeah, a Championship team who who um, who possess the ball in the opposition's half a little bit would be really good for him. I think. Definitely. I mean, one of the things I took away from the video was that his interplay, his short passing game and sort of awareness of where his teammates are is really good. Mm. I'd say advanced for his age. Uh, Some of his longer passing wasn't so good in that video, uh, but I have seen Parrot play some really nice long passes in, in in the past. So I think... I think there's potential there. I did want to just read out one Troy Parrot quote. And I've already spoken about this on straight off the training ground. So if you've if you're a Patreon, you've probably heard me um, read this before. So apologies for that, but I think it's worth I think it's worth talking about. So this is a this is from a Troy Parrot interview with MK Citizen, uh, talking about his loan last year. He says. I was doing well, but I fell off a bit in the middle of the season, if I'm being honest. You only get one shot. This is what I want to do. I want to be a footballer and play as a high level, and I realised I cannot let this go by. There was not one thing that changed, but I realised I cannot sit around and let it go by. Every game has to count. I have to give it 110% every game. And I, I really felt like that was um, Parrot admitting that he had a penny drop moment, which is which is great. It's exactly what you want to hear. Uh, and... I've been following his loan quite closely and I've been following the reception he's had from the MK Don's supporters and they absolutely love him. And the reason they love him is because his work rate on the pitch is terrific. And you certainly saw signs of that, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, that was, it couldn't be much more apparent. His, his, his graft was sort of probably the most outstanding part of that game. The number of times he tracked back from a forward role um, to be like the, the most important defender on his flank. Um, the times where he, sort of moved into a non-threatening position to support someone else or that kind of stuff. Um, if, if the sort of impression of him beforehand was this really talented player who was sort of selfish and lazy, um, then yeah, then this loan has been a massive success in terms of um, turning the corner in those kind of areas. Hmm. Is it not a concern that, he, I mean, it's all well and good that he runs around a lot and does a lot of hard work, <laughs> but if he's not scoring goal, I mean, I haven't watched the video, so I'll watch it and then, and then perhaps I'll be better placed to give a judgment. But I'm just thinking for those people that haven't seen it and might not watch the video. Yeah, he, it's good. He runs around a lot in League One, but he's not exactly setting it alight like Jermaine Defoe did in League Two, where he scored like 18 consecutive matches. Yeah, so he, he only has four goals, but his expected goals is much higher than that. Cool. Okay. So he's underperforming his expected goals, which I guess you would say is slightly disappointing. Sure. Uh, he's playing wide primarily. This is the interesting thing in Milton Keynes Don's setup. He typically plays wide on the right, which is interesting as he's a right-footed player. Normally, yeah. you have an inverted winger option when you're a, a, a striker. Um, but I think Nathan put it quite nicely. If he plays in a possession team, I think if he could play up front in a possession team, that would suit him really nicely. And uh, and we'll see more goals from him then. Um, the movement seemed seemed pretty good in in that video. I thought Nathan. I mean, I, I think I'm really intrigued to see what happens with him in the summer because I think if Conte has him for a preseason, I think he'll really like what he sees uh, in terms of a tenacity, the work rate, the fact that he's got a good touch uh, and he wants to have the ball in the box as well. I think Conte will be really impressed by that. And depending on what European competition we're in, he might want to hang on to Parrot for the first part of the season. Um, but equally, you know, I'm fully on board with him going out on loan to a championship team if we can get a good loan for him as well. 
think I prefer the loan, to be honest. I I was calling for him to get some game time back when we desperately needed a backup, and we do kind of still need a backup. Um, but I just think uh, that like he's he's a really hot talent, and he's still very clearly developing rapidly. Yeah, and I just think yeah. don't interrupt that. Um, um, think more long term with Parrot, and um, I think the season after that could be a really really strong one for him. And I guess also like. Scarlet is on the scene and Scarlet is fulfilling the role of, of youth forwards. Um, for me, I, I, I think Parrot is further along than Scarlet and, and has a higher ceiling. Oh, yeah. And could offer more to the team right now as well. Um, but with all of that said, Mourinho was keen on Scarlet and Conte is keen on Scarlet and I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, <laughs> die on that hill. <laughs> so mm. if they want to play him, uh, and he sort of becomes, I don't know, like kind of the third choice forwards as a, as a, as a y- young player, then, uh, then you don't want to add Parrot into that as well. So yeah, I think alone is the best one. We, we've got a nice little production line of young strikers at the moment because we've also got Keon Antete out on loan who's, who's, who's doing well in League One as well. Then we've got Jamie Donnelly who's, um, I think he's 17. He's now playing up in the 23s. And, and has made a good start to life there. He looks a really special player. He's kind of more of a number 10, to be honest. And then in the under, in the under 18s, we've got Jaden Williams, who's, um, playing superbly. He's scored five goals a couple of matches ago in one match. And then Ollie Iro, who is in the under 16s, is absolutely prolific and incredibly highly rated. So we're doing all right for strikers at the moment. I think that's, uh, that's a good sign. Until we sell him to Blackburn. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well said. How are you, Bardi? It's, uh, you, you've been a bit poorly. I have been a bit poorly. I went to the I went to the football last week, and it's it's taken a week to recover. I lost I lost my voice. It wasn't COVID, but I lost my voice. Was unable to talk for a while, so it was, my wife had a very peaceful time. But I'm, I'm back, Wendy. I'm back. Um, book club will be finished this week, so hopefully I can sit down with the author and talk about Neil Franklin, and then we'll get the FM stream back going again. Nice. Looking forward to it. Uh, so what we're going to do in this episode, as it's sort of international week, we're going to rattle through some of the questions that we've had stored up for quite some time. Um, and apologies if your question has not made the cut. It's, we've we've had to remove any that are no longer relevant. So we really appreciate all the questions our listeners send to us. Um, uh, please send more. If if you if your question hasn't made it, please send more in the future. So we'll start off with a few about the central midfield. Um, this one is. From Tom Hendy, he says, all the talk about our midfield, our best midfield for 2022-23, where does Saar fit into this? So another young player that's on loan, Nathan. Yeah, so I I will have a a more in-depth look at him in the near future, but he's sort of, um, he... He's playing in a really bad team, isn't he? He's playing in a terrible, terrible team. His profile's kind of weird, um, and there are areas of it where it's like, because his team is so bad, um, it looks like his short passing game is like really lacking, but it could just be that his teammates like never offer for the ball, can't control the passes that he makes to them, um, <laughs> the hide behind opposition uh, players, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so there's sort of like a big margin of error on, on making a claim on his short passing game, but w- you haven't seen him have a good <laughs> like short passing game um he so he's he is sort of putting up high defensive aggressive output season after season winning the ball a lot um but he typically is doing that as not the deepest player um like something we've seen from from Hoybier, uh over a few seasons um not too dissimilar we see from Skip and Bentancor as well 
Um, and his ball carrying is his sort of most outstanding attribute. Uh, he also, <laughs> he also hits the ball really hard, um, <laughs> in terms of like his shooting and his passing. He's a real like laces, um, <laughs> uh, favoring player. So the profile that kind of makes up is a bit weird and how well that suits Conte is kind of strange and hard to say. I think that like, even if I, I go and watch a couple of his games and do a video on him, there are still significant parts of him that are unknown and it kind of will depend on him getting some games, either at Spurs or maybe elsewhere. Maybe he goes elsewhere to a better team and gets some game time. But I just feel like it's so hard to make... I mean, he's clearly talented. There's clearly a lot of talent there, but it's so hard to like define him as a player and say what kind of role he could do for us because at the moment he's just like desperately trying to single-handedly carry a terrible team. Um, and that doesn't really... Hopefully, that doesn't transfer to Spurs very well. <laughs> You've basically just described Steven Gerrard. He he runs with the ball and yeah. twats it pretty hard. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a Gerrardness to him, I think. Nice. Well, looking forward to seeing him in pre-season as well, then. Uh, Stephen Carr says, Do you think the formation would have been a 3-5-2 if the club had signed Ericsson in January instead of him going to Brentford? He would have been the missing creative midfielder we needed. Also, thought Conte is like Wiley, Wiley e. Coyote when trying to win two games in a row. Nathan, cut that last bit out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think, Bardi? I mean, actually, to broaden it out, Bardi, would you sign Ericsson in the summer? No, no. I mean, I, I like Ericsson. I admire everything that he's done. It's an amazing story, him coming back, and it's fantastic to see him play football. But um, no, I, 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 who would you drop? Would you drop Kulusevski for Ericsson? I don't think so. Not right now. Um, plus, I think I think getting the best out of Kulusevski is probably better for the long term, long term future of our club. It'd be nice to see Ericsson, but not really. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sign him in order to shift to a formation that doesn't get, that doesn't even employ Kulusevski. I mean, I think this question was asked before Kulusevski um, broke out in fairness yeah. to Stephen. So I, I don't want to sort of, sort of seem like he was saying that uh, now. Okay. Um, I mean, in that, in that case, I think a, of course, an Ericsson type central midfielder in a three would be really nice. Someone mm. who's a bit creative and can get around the pitch. Like when we played Liverpool and Leicester, I'm sure this will come up somewhere. We had the three in midfield and, and it worked quite nicely having somebody who can get up and down and, and be a bit creative. Daly was that against Liverpool. I think it was it was Skip maybe against um, against Leicester. So yeah, someone in that role would be nice. Um, yeah, it would have been nice then. But I'm, I'm kind of happy where we are right now with a, a front three of Sun, Kuliseski and, and Kane. I'd really like Ericsson, I must say. Um, I mean, obviously, there's this sort of romantic element of it's Christian Eriksen, who's a much-loved player. He's had this terrible thing happen to him, so it'd be great mm. to welcome him back after that. But I think I think he's still got something to add. Uh, we we know he he athletically he's fantastic in, in terms of his pressures and the amount of defensive work he does, uh, and he he knows Conte. Conte knows him. They understand one another. He. Conte would know what he can get out of Ericsson and it would give us the flexibility I think to play 3-5-2 or Ericsson I think could play either the Son or the Kulisevsky role though the, the running in behind might be a bit of a stretch and Nathan would you take Ericsson back? I think I would I, um, I'm having a hard time filling out my 
transfer target list for central midfielders, and I recently added Ericsson to the bottom of the list because I don't know. I mean, to, to me, like the biggest part of the Ericsson one is like a medical question, and yeah. I'm, I'm still sort of yeah. like I'm obviously in no position to 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 make a judgment call on that. Obviously, Brentford feel happy. He's he's playing exceptional football for them. Um, again, he's still an incredible footballer. Like that alone um, is completely without question. Obviously, he's towards the older end. Um, he's going to have certain wage demands to come back. All of those kinds of things. Um, so yes, as a footballer, absolutely. But the the medical aspects, what we think the risks are, all that kind of stuff, I I have no comment to add. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't really no, that's say. that's fair. That's completely fair. Uh, Lenny D says, "What is the current status on Skip? Seeing him and Benton Kerr as the midfield pair would be exciting. What about Sess? So uh, Skip's injury. Spurs do this thing sometimes where they say that a player is going to be out for a little while. They make it sound like it might be a two or three week thing, and before you know it, they've been out for several months, uh, and we're not quite sure of what the injury is. Uh, it seems like Skip had quite a serious issue." So from what I understand, he had a pain-killing injection and the injection went a bit wrong and gave him some sort of infection in his groin area, which sounds absolutely horrendous. <laughs> Bloody hell, what kind of needles are they using? Right. Um, and since then, he's had to be managed very carefully and he's been on antibiotics. It's not great. It's not great that that's happened and I hope they're sort of reviewing what went wrong there. Um we have, we've definitely missed Skip. We've certainly missed him as an option. You know, being able to rest players and, and rotate in and out would have been really, really helpful. Uh, Nathan, I, I know you you do like Skip very much, but what do you think of this Skip and Benton Kerr idea? I don't think it's as good as Hoybier and Benton Kerr is, is sort of the short answer. I think that he is just sort of narrowly third behind the two of them. Um, not for any great specific reason. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I see a lot of sort of um, wish casting about um, partnering up any combination of our midfielders or, or creating a trio of any combination of our midfielders. Um, I just don't think that we have in our squads um, like a big boost in creativity um, that is that that can come from any combination of players. Um, I don't know. Skip, Skips is still, you know, a, a definitely a, a good player. Um, I just think Ben Dankur is is a is a not huge, but a, a decent improvement on him. And uh, yeah, Bardi, how are you? How are you feeling yeah. about Skip? I don't, I don't think. Well, we haven't seen it, so we don't know. But I, I just stylistically, I don't see Skip and Bentanko working. Um, sure. Yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to see. It'd be nice to try it if you got fit again, or maybe the three of them try that out as well. But yeah, I, I think we, we just need to see. I really like Skip. I think he's got a lot of room to grow. Mm. But yeah, I, I just don't think him and him and Bentanko will work. I think in a strange way, they're a little bit similar. The room to yeah. grow. The room to grow is where I am with Skip. I mean, I think we've we've only seen the tip of the iceberg mm. of his abilities. Uh, I, I think he's a very talented player, and there's a lot more to come. Um, it's been a very he, uh, strong breakout season for Skip. If you consider this his kind of Premier League breakout season as a, as a debut, I know the thing is he's been here so long that it's like he's an old guy, but he's not. And if you count that, if he had never played a minute for Spurs before this season, we would be going. This is an incredible debut season. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Let's keep him and keep developing him. And I think that's kind of where we should be. We shouldn't look at him as being a starter for next year, but as a really strong rotation option. Yeah. Someone that could build, that could develop into a starter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, he's 21, you know, so he turns 22 in September. As you say, really young. 
he he is being touted around for the England squad. I think um, I think he wouldn't look out of place in the England squad. If I'm completely honest, I think he's talent wise, he's as good as other players that have made the squad. Uh, and I think the, so. Ben Tancor is is better on the ball, more comfortable in possession. I'd say Skip is clearly for me better defensively, and maybe maybe has a better long passing game than Ben Tancor. Although I'd say that remains to be seen. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure about that. Even just the the, the Man City goal, the, the final winning goal, was, came off a nice little chip through pass from Bentanko. I, I don't know. We haven't seen. I don't think we've seen anything like that from Skip yet. But either way, I mean, it's exciting, uh, exciting to have a player as good as Skip in the in the mix. Um, I think we've got some some good central midfield options uh, in, in Conte's system, at least. Um, David Holland says, can you explain to those of us who are a bit thick why we are playing a midfield two and not a three whilst we have lots of midfield quality? And again, just to reiterate, this is from a while back when we were all clamouring for the three, five, two. Um, uh, we, we had a similar thing from, from Harsh Mishra who said, based on a very small sample size, it looks a bit like three, five, two is our go-to formation against pressing teams, Liverpool and Southampton, yeah. leave two up top and then look to counter. Whilst against non-pressing teams, it looks like Conte's happy to get Son and Lucas involved in general play. Is this just a coincidence or is it actually the reason why we haven't seen us permanently shift to three, five, two just yet? Yeah, I think that may well have been in thinking for those specific games is that we're just going to use the wings ball over the top. Um, but I, I think perhaps he just saw that as not sustainable long term and sort of a, like kind of a gimmick <laughs> that he could get away with on a short term basis. And then since then, the, the, the makeup of our squad has changed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, possibly. I, I think I saw the 352. So I saw it fulfilling two roles. Firstly, it facilitated us playing out from the back because Winks was there and it enabled Winks to drop into the back line and help with progression into midfield. And secondly, it allowed us to be a bit more front foot with our pressing. You know, the the two players either side of Winks were able to press a bit higher and a bit more regularly. But now we've understood, or now we've started adjusting, I think, quite well to the 3-4-3. Actually, the central midfielders are able to press anyway. They don't go together, but they go one at a time um, with the other attacking band uh, and they join the press. And maybe that's something to do with uh, Kulisevsky coming in and clearly having a bit more positional awareness than than Lucas. Or I think it's probably more to do with just the fact that we're understanding the system more now over time. Conte's ideas are really coming through. Um, it will be interesting to see if he utilises the three five two again before the end of the season, but I strongly suspect not when we've got Kulisevsky playing so well. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see the three five two again. We just we just spoke about Skip being injured. I think had we bought two central midfielders in January, then we would have seen it. But they're kind of um, Kulisevsky almost. I don't know. Was it a gamble? The the roll of dice on him to see how it works has worked out so nicely that it, we don't need to go to it. I think Conte's looked at the players he has available and just three four three works quite nicely for now. I would like to see a three five two eventually, but only if we have the right players to play it. Okay, so we move on to some questions about the wingbacks. So this is from Christopher Lillard, and this was sent uh, in late December, so quite a quite a while ago. Christopher says. Uh, it seems rather clear the quality and capability of Cess and Regalon is much closer to what Conte wants out of his wingbacks over Emerson and Doherty. You know where I'm going. Could Sergio or Cess do a job on the right to raise the quality in our 11? Is there any way this would be beneficial or do we trust the less competent right footers instead until we buy a better solution at right wing back? And obviously Doherty has come to the fore since then and has been playing a lot better. But um, inverted wing backs under Conte, Bardi, what do you think? 
Um, do I want to see them? Um, not really. Um, no. I, 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 our fullbacks, our wingbacks are, are are an issue, but I I think it's been over exaggerated just how big an issue. I think Sir, I think Reguilón and Sessignon are, are fine left wingbacks, and I think Doherty could do a job. But Emerson, yeah, is he does look a mess at the moment. But I, I do think we've got over. We start to panic too much because Reguilón is not scoring ten goals a season. He, I don't think he would ever score ten goals a season. Somebody tweeted us. I think we retweeted it from the from the extra inch Twitter account that. When he had Kandreva and Ashley Young and those guys, the most they were popping up was was five goals. So expecting your fullback, your wingback to get over five goals is a bit, it's a bit like wanting Christmas every single day. I think I think Reguilón's doing okay, and I think Sessignon can do a little bit better. Nathan, any thoughts on the inverted wingback option from you? Yeah, I, I think I'd like to have seen more of Sess on the right. You know, prior to Doherty um, having a couple of good games. Uh, I guess that um, there hasn't been great availability between the two left backs for a continuous stretch. Um, and there's always the fear that like, you know, uh, like injuries, ha- having having a left back just sort of sitting around in case you need them to play left back kind of thing. But with all of that, I, I still think I'd have liked to have seen Regulon start on the left and Sessignon start on the right for a couple of, of league games at some point. I guess that's probably dead in the water with Doherty's improvements, but still, I wouldn't be against seeing it. Um, obviously, Doherty's sort of gone a bit off the ball, as you would expect, because he's no longer playing teams that are completely playing to his advantage. Um, in fact, um, Emerson Royale came off the bench a couple of times um, and looks decent. Perhaps the secret was not Doherty, but playing Kulisevsky to better enable uh, the the wing back. But um, I don't know. I think we just <laughs> we need some significant investment <laughs> right wing back in the summer, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Conte's title winning season, that it was Gareth Thomas. Thank you very much for the for the research. Hakimi um, scored seven goals in the season, and Hakimi yeah. is without doubt one of the best right wing backs in football right now. So. Uh, Reguilón has two and he could score a few more and he did spend a lot of the season under under Nuno so I think if Reguilón next season is popping up with five goals Sessignon's getting three or four then we're doing good they, it's just right wing back does need does need a swap I'd like us to keep Doherty which is an amazing thing to, I find myself saying because I do think he offers us something a little bit different sure. um, and he does kind of dovetail nicely with Kulusevsky, but I would like us to sign up a proper right wing back and then have Doherty as a, as an alternative to kind of switch it up. Regulon is at three expected goals. So, mm. I mean, you've seen the misses basically, haven't you? Yeah, I, I just think that those, those misses kind of like get blown out of proportion. Like sure. Bergvines against Liverpool. All of a sudden, everybody just goes, oh, it's because look at him. He can't finish. He can't do anything. And even though they have been kind of one-on-ones, but to hear that, he should have had three goals. And it's, it's not, he's not doing too bad, which is why I'm not so, I'm not so anti-Sergio. I think for me, the, the issue with his finishing is that he chooses the wrong type of finish. But he's right. not, he's not, you know, he, he's not Harry Kane. He's going to yeah. choose that option quite a lot. But he, but, it, but exactly. But that's why he should just keep it simple and always go low and across the keeper. Yes, I in, agree. In my eyes. But he just tries to twat it at the near post the majority of the time. And I'm not sure how helpful that is for him. If he just went low across the keeper every time, then the chances are it'll nestle in the bottom corner or the keeper will palm it out to an onrushing player. It just seems like a better option for him. It's and, true, and, but- and easier, easier technique to master as well. 
Have you ever tried tweeting at 100 miles an hour when you're when you're driving your car? You shouldn't do it. Obviously. No, no. <laughs> it's like, don't do it. But that's kind of what Reguillon's trying to do. He's driving at 100 miles an hour and he's trying to tweet and drink his coffee. He just needs to park park his car and then just take his shot. Um, I, I have a funny feeling he's going to explode next season. <laughs> I do. I don't for know Real why. Madrid. No, no, for us, he's gonna he's gonna do he's gonna do a madness next year. So um, you mentioned that you'd like a new right wing back, buddy. This is from Tomas Elton Haug, who says, "I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on Juan Cuadrado. Do you think he is a good, ready to win now alternative at right wing back that Conte seems to want? His at- attacking output is still up there with the best, but can he make it as a defender in the Premier League?" I, do you know what? I think this is probably a, this is very a, a very Antonio Conte transfer. I don't mind this one. Yes, he's old and everything else, but I don't think this is a bad idea. He's he was been pretty good in Pirlo's Juve. He was one of the better performers. Um, someone they relied on quite a lot. And Man, he's thirty three. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be against a a short term a short term transfer with him. A season or a, a, a one or two seasons, I'd be okay with that. I mean, it does seem like the kind of thing that Paratici might do, uh, signing a player get, from Juventus. If you get Quadrado, and I guess it's the end of Doherty, and then you find a young right back, a young right wing back to play with him and understudy him, I think you're onto something beautiful there. Jed Spenson, Quadrado, you heard it here first. There you go. I'm, I'm fully on board that. Horseshit and burgers. I really like that handle. He <laughs> says, uh, is it uh, too, is it too proper football? To ask against teams we are going to dominate, would Lucas and Bergvine be better options at wing back than our current flaky four? Both can beat the full back and have the trickery to make something happen, along with great engines and the ability to work backwards. Um, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of Lucas yeah. and or Bergvine at wing back later in games. I must say, seen Lucas there a couple of times. I thought we'd have seen it a little more than we've seen it. Um, I don't, I don't see it as a long term solution. I think if, if it was going to be a long term solution, we would have seen more of it by now. Um, I don't know. I, I, I definitely see like Lucas as having a lot of the attributes, probably not the positional discipline, I guess, mm. uh, in, in settled defense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think, I think, uh, if that was going to happen, it would have happened by now and we can, <laughs> we can just let it go and, and say. Conte sees Bergvine as a striker as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to have seen him get some more minutes there if that's his role and, and some more rest for Harry Kane. But like, we haven't been talking about Harry Kane needs rest. Harry Kane needs rest. He's been looking really sharp consistently playing twice a week for a while now. Yeah. And, and now the, the games are reduced down. That will do him some good I would think uh, speaking of Bergwijn he scored a couple of really nice goals for the Netherlands this week yeah I mean he's a good player man I, he's good he's he, good I, we, we, we were about to sell him and then he scored uh, twice against Leicester and then we were like taking him off the transfer list and then we basically haven't seen him for Spurs but like the, yeah. that's the talent that's there that's the player that's there like we're mm. really kind of wasting him um, yeah I don't know I'd like to have seen him you know come off the bench at 60 um, for Son and or Kulusevsky or Kane, 100%. you know, and just be regularly first off the bench, first off the bench. Um, you know, he he offers us plenty. Like he's a really good player to have in the squad for that reason because he can play across that front three. Um, it but, just feels like he hasn't quite earned the trust to to get that place. But surely he did do that with, with his performance against Leicester, and you'd have thought that he would have, you know. That was the turning point. That you know, the the reporting was that that Conte said no, actually don't sell him because of this brilliant performance. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know how he's been in training, obviously. Um, 
But he's but, back behind Lucas in the pecking order. But he's back behind Lucas in the pecking order, and I do not get that at all because he isn't offering much coming off the bench at all. Um, yeah, mm. I don't know. He's we're wasting the talent of Bergwijn in the squad quite badly. I feel like I agree. Uh, if you've not seen Bergwijn's two goals, uh, he scored a Kane-like header and then a Son-like cut inside and curl into the far post for the Netherlands. They were delicious finishes. Really impressive. I, I got a little funny, not funny at all, just some, something that annoys me about um, about stuff like this. It's just like Bergwijn and Lucas, they can play wing back. Why? Because they're fast and that, that's it. Yeah. It's like it's, almost, <laughs> yeah. it's like people think the only thing you need to be a wing back is, is to be quick. And I think because we've just been talking about Quadrado, there's Ashley Young, Victor Moses, uh, these kind of guys, they are wingers. So it's like they've spent their whole life running up and down the, the, the width of the pitch. So at least they understand what the pitch looks like from out there. And then they've been able to develop into, into wingbacks, into like pretty good ones. And it's just because Bergrind plays occasionally wide. He's not a winger. So I just think, I think it's a, a bit, unless there's a, a dire emergency, I don't think Bergrind or Lucas should ever play in our wide positions as a as a wingback just not gonna work just because they're quick bullshit (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i feel like it could work when we're camped in the opposition half in search of a goal with like half an hour to go but in any other match scenario i would not really want either of them playing wingback yeah i mean can you imagine being a footballer if you're doherty you're 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 a wingback and they're just going oh this is Anybody can play my role, and it's just—it's not—it's not quite like that. It's like saying Harry Kane can go. He can't. Harry Kane can go in goal. Actually, we've seen Harry Kane in goal. That's the worst example <laughs> I could have picked. But yeah, I think there's there's a specialism in football. I know Nathan likes to think there's no there's no positions, but I think in some cases perhaps there are certain positions, and certain footballers just should never be able be able to, or be entrusted to fill that role. 
so Pochettino post Champions League when we started the new season at home we played Aston Villa and we were really struggling and it was that kind of hope of we were going to do a Liverpool we were going to build upon the, the failing of not winning the Champions League and then go again the next season and we played Aston Villa at home and we were losing and Endombele scored a beautiful goal and it was just like holy shit everybody erupted it's like this is it this is the midfielder we've, we've been missing and now we're going to go on and, and win the Champions League so that was that moment he scored that was a brilliant goal um, Bergvine's Debut goal against Man City was also a beautiful goal to witness, especially because of the fact it was against City and we were under pressure and it was it was a beautiful a beautiful goal. And also the sudden goal in that one as well. And then the other one is the Kane opener against Liverpool, where Liverpool were, you know, Liverpool are an unstoppable team and we're under Conte and then we we take the lead with a, a lovely goal, lovely through ball from Ndombele and a lovely finish from Kane. So they're up there amongst those goals as well. Of of the Sun goals, I think the Burnley Puskas goal was an incredible thing to see, but unfortunately it was against Burnley and you win five <laughs> nil. And I, I I do think Puskas, when they're rating those goals, should just dock a few points for the the, the importance of the game or whether or not the team goes on to win it. Like for example, the the Lamella Rabona goal against Arsenal. For me, that doesn't even doesn't even count in my favourite Spurs goals because we ended up losing that game. So yeah, sorry for shitting on. It was a positive question and I turned <laughs> it to a negative. <laughs> happens nathan if that was a question for bardi this is definitely a question for you so steve jennings says seria journalist james horncastle recently tweeted that the current interside is their best interside to watch in a long time given conte could be a short-term ish appointment at spurs does his style provide a good foundation for a successor with a more attractive style yeah 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 that's a good question yeah it definitely does i definitely think um so in fact looking at uh Serie A now right Inter are still um really tearing it up on their underlying numbers they're sitting third um but at least in terms of results let's actually I'm just going to do a quick bit of they're not doing good they're not doing so good right so I think that speaks to um (laughs) like so you've got this pattern-based football. The idea is that you drill it and you drill it and you drill it and it becomes unconscious, right? You don't receive the ball, think about what you're going to do next, uh, assess the options visually, then play the ball. You just, like a robot, muscle memory, you've played the ball, you play the ball. And I think that you have another coach come in, he's going to change up the defensive style, he's going to bring in a few other alterations, um, do his own thing, be a bit more principle-based, great, all of that works well on the foundation of sort of pre-existing unconscious moves but if you're not training those patterns and learning new ones and developing them and keeping them fresh um through training then yeah over time you're going to lose that so i do think that um coming in after conte does you know can really help give you a, a possession kind of boost um but i don't think it's sticking with into throughout the entire season i think they they've been losing that and they've been moving away from sort of the, that foundation that they had uh previously in the context and i think we've seen that before it's not just a conte thing i think we've seen that before with with uh with other teams um who are like still kind of playing their previous managers possession ideas um for the next sort of six months or so I mean, I do think Conte does give a, a good foundation. I think Inter have suffered by losing Lukaku and Eriksen, um, which are two big losses for them. Yeah, I mean, that that would have a huge impact on any team, right? It's uh, this is, I guess this is the thing. 
if Conte, one of the best managers in Europe, is leaving your club, then there's a worry that some of the better players might leave with him. Um, so you need to get the next appointment right. Oh, they also lost Hakimi as well, who we've been talking about. Mm. So yeah, it's, it would be very difficult for any manager to come in and and, and continue that good work. Into a really underperforming their expected goals. <laughs> anyway, interesting. I wonder why that might be. The, the strikers, Jeko, is just not right, very good. Right, right. Just over the hill. Yeah, he's, he's 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 a pretty good lamppost to hit the ball at, but he's, I don't think he does much else. So this email has been sat in our inbox for some time. This is from Mushtaka Rahman, who says, I wanted to ask you a question by way of illustrating my footballing sensibilities. Which team, past or present, national or league, do you hold as exemplars of football you'd like to see played? Sorry, as you like to see it played. Mine is and will always be the one whose exit from the World Cup broke my heart, Brazil of 1982, guided by the wonderful Tele Santana. I still wish that Toninho Cerezo had not played a blind pass, that Paolo Rossi had stayed in jail, and that Careca... Careca? Careca. Careca was leading the line instead of Serginho. I mean, you don't think I don't see you, Wendy. I see you. I see straight through you into your soul that this question's been sitting here months about World Cups and everything else. And then, oh, <laughs> let's bring it up. Let's bring it up today. Let's talk about Italy winning a World Cup game. That didn't even cross my mind, but that would be, yeah. I sh- I, yeah. It's just subconscious. It's, it's always coming for me. It's absolutely perfect. You called that though, didn't you, buddy? You said, uh, straight oh, yeah. after they won the Euros, you said that we won't qualify for the World Cup, we'll be terrible, we'll fall apart, we'll try to bring through a new generation, but the new generation isn't there. Um, our old players will get old. You knew it. You knew it. Everyone was celebrating, saying Italy are a dominant force in football, and you you completely saw it happening because this is the cycle, right? This this is the cycle, and there's nothing more Italian than this. Um, also, I, I do think the whole kind of qualifying system in Europe is is an absolute mess, forcing this to happen. But anyway, had um, just yeah, win every game, mate. <laughs> just just like Italy lost two games in in forty in like five five years, and yeah. And it happens. Also, if you can't score penalties against Switzerland, this is this is what happens. Um, it was this is a problem with, with Italian football that these players they win something and then they just decide that's it. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to retire on the football pitch <laughs> and just that's what they did. Immobile, um, Insigne, Chiellini, all of them. And then you've got the best goalkeeper in the world who decides to go to Paris to to be a kind of backup goalkeeper to not try and catch a ball for months and then yeah this is this is it's so italian and i wasn't i wasn't surprised i knew this would happen but it's okay because the world cup is in december it's going to be freezing cold and i can just go on holiday or just lock the windows and pray it doesn't come home it's the history of italy yeah this is the history this is the the dna is um that idiot killini would say um yeah 82 anyway glory days of 1982 I mean that Brazil's team was was pretty good but it was genuinely flawed at the back so I don't know it, it, it broke your heart but you should have known better football is always going to break your heart anyway Wendy we, we had a little chat about this what's your what's your team it, uh, uh, this this is not my kind of question at all like I don't I've got a terrible memory for for most things but I grew up on on United's 442 um uh, pre pre David Beckham, they still they were still playing with wingers, but I, I very I have very strong and um and good memories of Gary Neville overlapping David Beckham and Beckham being the, the greatest crosser of a football I'd ever seen. I still think he remains the best crosser of a football I I have ever seen. It was it was truly like watching an artist at work. Uh the variety of crosses that he could play and, and long range passes generally. Um and I enjoyed watching the sort of 
the attacking four four two with wing with um, fullbacks bombing on like wing backs um, under Sir Alex at his peak, and of course United was stopping Arsenal winning trophies, which was uh, which was a bonus. Um, aside from that, I mean it's Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool under Klopp are just. I find them so magnetic. I I I love watching Trent Alexander Arnold. I think he's one of, one of my favourite players of all time. Um, and I I really think that we perhaps underappreciate Mo Salah. His consistency, his brilliance. He's a remarkable player. Uh, one of the best I've ever seen in the Premier League. And as much as sort of Liverpool fans are irritating as hell, particularly on social media, their team is something really special. Yeah, I, for a lot of people our age, when we did grow up watching this Man United team, and I, <clears throat> I remember quite fondly the the Kanchelskis, um, mm. Lee Sharp era, where Gigs. it had two two proper wingers. Um, I think the team that I've always I've always looked at and always admired it was the the ninety seven ninety eight Juventus team that ended up losing the Champions League final to Dortmund. They, in controversial circumstances, won the Champions League in ninety five ninety six, where they were probably really doped up. Well, they were really doped up. Uh, but then after winning the Champions League, they went in strength and they went out and they got uh, Zidane, Boxic, Montero, Vieira, mm. Vieri, and they just turned into this beautiful team that should have retained the Champions League. I mean, they, they took Ajax apart that season and then in the final, they just they crumbled and lost to um, lost to um, Dortmund, Karl Hunt Riedler's Dortmund. And that was very sad. I'm not a Juventus fan, but I've, I've always really appreciated and really liked that Juve team. Nice. The other the other team that I uh, I genuinely truly admired and thought had um, a, a, a brilliance throughout that I don't remember seeing presented in the same way before was was Pochettino's Tottenham. They were pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Nathan, Nathan, how about you? Well, I think that's a good shout. Um, I feel like Guardiola's Barcelona in sort of. Um, sort of oh nine to bit, eleven, bit, bit dull, bit boring, bit repetitive. It's, I know, I know, I know that it's obvious, uh, and yeah. No, I, did, I don't mean that. I mean the football. It's, it was sort of um, <laughs> predictable. Is that fair to say? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think if, I think football that is predictable is defendable. I think that if you know yeah, what Barcelona point, are going to do, then then you can set up to prevent it. I feel like they were playing like a different game to what every other team was playing at the time. Incredible um, midfield, unbelievable midfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, so much of it was like an expansion outward from Xavi uh, and mm. his sort of patience. Um, yeah, and then and then the other one is um, Ten Hag's Ajax. Mm. I really think that they are, the, the team now are very good, but their Champions League run that we stuffed um, was really quite special in terms of. Um, uh, like its materialization on the pitch, like the, the, the tactical characteristics of it. Um, yeah, quite, quite unique in its kind of tactical extremes in terms of like overloading one side of a pitch. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, it, it's the tiny little interplays, the, 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 the extreme, um, uh, push towards just sort of several players in a 10 yard box playing one touch football. Yeah. I mean, there's there's probably a generation of Ajax fans out there who are just still really pissed off <laughs> that that they didn't get to that final because even their route to the final they took they took Real Madrid apart in yep. Madrid they took Juventus apart yep. um, they took us apart at home <laughs> and other than like ten fifteen minutes they they should have been in that final yeah oh well um, moving from that to this uh, Vincent 
who who writes for our newsletter sometimes, Vincent asks us and we did a radio the same question. There are three outfits and only one member of the respective pods can wear each option. Who wears what? And importantly, why? The options are one, full Tottenham tracksuit. Two, official club suit tie. Three, full kit wanker. Hmm. I mean, I mean, you'll never see me in a suit and tie, <laughs> um, and, I, and I hope I'm not a full kit wanker. I think uh, I, I'm definitely calling dibs on the tracksuit. I think one of the things <laughs> with the tracksuit is, um, like, if you, I'm, I'm a big believer in like uh, making it seem like you belong somewhere, just sort of confidently walking around in sort of kind of correct gear and just just walking straight into Tottenham way, uh, a hotspur way even, and just watching training in in the full tracksuit and no one coming up to you and approaching you saying what you're doing here because because you're in the right gear and you look like you know what you're doing. So I definitely want the the full tracksuit. Yeah, I I know Windy and I can look in his eyes and I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, you know, I'm Windy Coys. I I have to wear the official club suit. Nathan <laughs> Nathan is our tactics guy. He and you can't do tactics if you're not in a tracksuit. Yeah. And then he's looking at me thinking, what a wanker. So <laughs> Bardi's going to be full kit wanker. There you go. Just know it. The the one who actually goes to games wearing the the mm. full kit seems wrong though somehow, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I I don't wear. I've never worn Spurs colours at a game. I, I I think it's bad luck, which is weird because <laughs> <laughs> you've never what? done anything. <laughs> that makes no sense. It makes. I never wear anything Tottenham when when we play. Um, I've made a mistake a couple of times and worn something extra inch. While we've watched Tottenham, it's never ended well. So I, I try to not wear anything affiliated to the club. It's nothing to do about being proper. Uh, anything like that. I just I think it's bad luck. Do you have a lucky pair of pants? No, no, I don't. I, I, no, I don't. I, I don't believe in luck. No. It's like sometimes I'll tweet something before a match and someone will say, oh, you've cursed it now. And uh, I, if I could have my way, I would reply to all those people saying there's no such thing as curses or luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I said once Pickford is shit. I still believe he's shit. And he did have a wonderful game against us when he was at Sunderland. But that just happens. That's nothing to do yeah. with the words coming out of my mouth affecting that result. <laughs> I mean, the one thing is people, it might, you know, people having seen that tweet might notice Pickford playing well more than they didn't before. That's the only possible, uh, I mean, change that it might have made. Had England, had Pickford saved another penalty and England won the Euros, I, I think I would have had to delete Twitter. (laughs) Deactivate, yeah. They would have, I, I know as soon, I'm, I'm sure out there there was thousands of drafts maybe thousands I'm rating myself a bit too highly there was at least 10 drafts written which is going to be old Pickford shit is he something like that do you know what when um when Kyle Walker-Peters made his England debut this week um I, I logged onto my Windy Coys account um which I, I don't do that often these days I, I, I've been doing some youth updates on there but I thought oh, I'll log in see how many people have tagged me saying you know you were right all along, Wendy. You knew best about <laughs> Kyle Walker-Peters. And, and do you know how many people were tweeting me about Kyle Walker-Peters? Nobody. None. Not a yeah. single person. It's just Twitter. No one's going to tweet you and say, oh, after all, I've had all this beef with you, Wendy. I've called you all these words. But you know what? You're right about Kyle Walker-Peters. This is just not how Twitter works. But if he'd scored an unfortunate own goal for Southampton. 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Had, he, I mean, had I, he come on and got sent off or given away a penalty against Switzerland, then, then you would have got it. I mean, to be fair, a lot of people thought that Kyle Walker-Peters was good, but not good enough for Spurs. And I think that's an absolutely fine opinion. Yeah. I, I'm really, I'm really, really pleased that he um, he made his England debut. I'm really happy for him. He seems like a lovely person. Um, and I'm glad he's got his career back on track. 
Um, Ollie Connors says, I'm listening to the new album by Aussie alt-pop band Gang of Youths, highly recommended by Ollie. Yeah. And it name-checks Benoit Asuokoto. If you were to commission a song about a Spurs player, who would it be and who would sing it? Hmm. Asuokoto, Benoit Asuokoto has a nice rhythm to it and a nice number of syllables in there, which definitely helps. You definitely need some sort of rhythm to your name to make it uh, singable, I think. Um... I mean, Kulisevsky would be a, a great name to have in the song. It's, it rolls. It's a nice word to say, Kulisevsky. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit. <clears throat> if you're going to write a song about someone, I'm going to I'm going to go Neil Fenn, who um, like you could write something along those lines of having the world at your feet. I'm not writing a song here on the fly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sounds like you are, mate. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, you could write a song about Neil Fenn, the guy who played for Tottenham, had everything, and then gave it up to go watch cricket. Or was that Rory Allen? I One, think that was could, Rory Allen. Yeah, you could write about the two of them then. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I think you don't you don't want to do a song about like Harry Kane. You don't want to it's do too like obvious. This, you don't want to do the too obvious. You don't want to do the mm. wow, he's good song because that's not that's not interesting. I think you um I think you want like a cult hero type player. Mm. I think you want to do a song about like the immaculate violence of Eric Lamella. That's that's the song. And also good good rhythmic name that's, there too. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect, isn't it? Has to be niche though. If you if you go mainstream with a with a main like Tottenham player, like Lamella's probably too big, then um the the football standing authorities in Coy's Twitter will come after you. <laughs> and who's uh who's singing it, Nathan? <laughs> Well, I'm I'm writing it. I'm singing it. Isn't that? Oh, the you're question? singing. Okay, okay, okay. No, no, I mean, they want they Ollie, Ollie wanted a band. We want a band. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think. Who sings a song? Oh, maybe it should be like um like a a metal band, like a a modern metal band <laughs> should do a song about um uh the immaculate violence. I don't. I'm, I'm not, I don't. I haven't kept up with metal for the last decade. Who are the in metal bands? I never knew uh, who were the in metal bands. To be honest, they're 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 a bit, yeah they're a bit, maybe 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 Ramstein. They're sort of they're a bit yesterday, I think now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they could do like a a march type type rhythm for the immaculate violence of Eric Lamella in German. Nice. So I I um I don't know why, but you've just made me think of. Do you remember um, Sultans of Ping FC? They did. They had a, a song called "Where's Me Jumper." Okay. That, that was was very catchy, and it used to be a, a, a staple of indie clubs in the nineties. And they also had a song called "Give Him a, Give Him a Ball and a Yard of Grass," uh, which was which was similarly catchy. Um, and I thought it was it had some nice lyrics to it. So Sultans of Ping FC would be the the sing singers of the Eric Lamella song. I think uh, at this point, I also just want to say R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins. That was very sad news. Yeah. Um, James says, question for Nathan's musicianship and Bardi's keeper analysis. I'm in the early stages of learning the guitar. Watching that save Hugo made on Hundeguan's curler had me, had left me marveling at the unholy level of finger strength and dexterity he must have. Bardi, how the hell has he pushed that around the post? And Nathan, how puffy of a turtleneck will Hugo be wearing on the cover mm-hmm. of the jazz guitar album he releases a few months into retirement? Um, I mean, how he saves it is he reads it and that's, that's how. That's basically how he saved it. He he saw what was happening. He knew what was happening. Then if you you go back and watch it, he he takes two or three good steps to his to his left, and then he times the way he pushes off to to save it. That's it. He totally he totally read the move, and that's through through experience and and through brilliance. And then of course he he had to actually tip it around, which is part of brilliance. But you sometimes you'll see a goalkeeper as they set themselves. Sometimes the header will come too soon, and they've almost kind of jumped as they're setting themselves and then can't get the spring. 
just because they've misjudged it. But Hugo read everything in that, and it was it was a brilliant save. It wasn't it wasn't reaction. That was pure um, experience and thinking. So uh, I went to music university, and I was on the the specialist guitar course. And I quickly got in with, um, or kind of helped to form kind of a football crowd because there's not a huge number of uh, football fans at a, a music university. And, uh, we would, go, we would watch football together. We would go to the park and play football together. And basically, uh, no one would ever go and go. Everyone hated to go and go because everyone is scared of breaking a finger or hurting the hand or whatever. Cause, you know, you've got a performance exam coming up or your band are playing a big gig. Um, everyone at the time is playing like just like four plus hours of guitar every day because it's like a, a time for rapid development in your guitar playing to get up to like mastery level. Um, which I definitely fell short of. Um, but yeah, no, so everyone was super reluctant to go and go more so than like usual. And then, um, when you are in goal, you're trying to make every save with your feet or like your forearm or your, your chest. And it was, it's quite a sight to behold. It's just, just, uh, yeah, a bunch of lads who refused to, to, to put their hand out to a ball under any circumstances. I would have been getting stressed if you, if, if, if one of you lot went in goal for me and then you're just kind of like not, not making a proper effort of it. <laughs> well, we would get annoyed at each other for not going with proper technique and then it would be our turn in goal. And we would also, you know, closed hands, maybe, maybe a fist <laughs> to make a save or whatever. There's, there's nothing worse in this world than when you're playing five aside and then you got to go in goal and you give it a good go, but then you come out. And then the next person goes in, just lets the easiest goal come in. Then yeah. he just kind of he, he saunters away from the goal, like done my turn. It's just like no, no, no. Um, so Legion asks, how the hell does scouting and signing goalkeepers work? It seems like such a crapshoot. Seems like Wolves have somehow walked into a great goalkeeper with Jose Sar, but other teams haven't had similar luck with their new keepers. How is this supposed to work? Uh, it's, it's a crapshoot. I mean, it, uh, obviously, I can't speak for um, Liverpool or City and, and, and their signings. Um, but for Spurs and for most clubs, it's total guesswork. Like, like we, we signed Hugo Lloris for 11 million. Um, he's been one of the best keepers in the world for like over a decade. Since then, <laughs> we've, we signed an array of understudies who like can't read the flight of the ball through the air. Um, who were immediately ditched the you know the season after signing them uh we we i don't know how much we spent in you know in in fees and wages trying to pursue a second choice keeper or, or a potential long term replacement but we've got no idea what we're doing and we had just happened to sort of stumble luckily into way underpaying for an incredible incredible goalkeeper and i think it's the same for most clubs so uh how does it work is um is this how how should or could it work is is you start with um long term you're talking like multi-season performance against post-shot expected goals and you say okay here are the keepers who for like three or more years at least have consistently um saved more than the average keeper right because that's the main thing and then you begin to look at what they're doing outside of that i also think that every club should have um 
like a goalkeeping expert. Maybe it's your goalkeeping coach. She's also um, the the goalkeeping scout, or he receives reports from 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 match going scouts as the sort of head of goalkeeping or whatever. Um, but the idea that 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 like Peratici, whatever you want to say about his outfit signings, like he's in charge of all of that, and then also he's meant to just like know a guy who knows a guy who can provide a goalkeeper for a year. Like that just is not. That is not the way. Like we're we're gonna go to Atalanta and we're interested in Romero on. Oh, and also they've got like a keeper there open to getting rid of. Yeah, sure, we could do with one of those. <laughs> it's it's absolute insanity. There's a real lack of any kind of worthwhile expertise and consideration going into to goalkeeper signing, especially at Spurs, but I think also other clubs do. And and yet the two goalkeeper transfers of the summer were Saar and Ramsdale, and both went really well. Yeah, I mean. Ramsdale, I still think Ramsdale is very overrated. He's I having think. a good season, though. He's having a good season, but I, I still think he, I still think he's overrated. I think with goalkeepers, is you, you've just got to watch them all the time. And for me, I think, for me personally, I learn more. I think when you see the goals they concede rather than the, the ones they save. Um, yeah, like Nathan says, you've got to be consistent. You've got to have an idea on a couple of goalkeepers and keep watching them. Liverpool went out and signed a goalkeeper who was brilliant. He had a, I think he only really had a season and a half at Roma, but they watched him and just knew immediately that just even just his sheer phys- physical presence, even if he was rubbish kicking the ball, he's just a sheer presence and he's just bound to be a decent goalkeeper. I think you've got to watch them, keep watching them, see how, and these days obviously see how they are with their feet, but watch every single goal they concede and try and figure out if there's a, if there's a pattern in, in what they're letting in. It's, it's very difficult to, to sign a goalkeeper, but you know, Milan replaced a, a fantastic goalkeeper with a, an equally, well, not equally as good, but a very good goalkeeper as well. So it can be done. Interesting. I do like Nathan's point about um, focusing on the basically a save percentage first, and then profile comes second to that. I think so. I um, mean, yeah. I, I I like a keeper who's good with their feet, like, and I think that we should be looking for that. I like a keeper who's aggressive with his line, and all those kinds of things are important. But like, the, I mean, all I mean by that is that you you immediately filter out everyone who's outside the top one hundred savers and mm. then you begin to construct your profile from that um partly you can do that because the clubs aren't doing that right so you you have like first access to to making those kinds of calls it's not like there's a big fight over other clubs who are good at identifying the best shot stoppers so you you do that but i mean you again it's the same with outfield players the first thing you use data for is to rule out players that you shouldn't be going for right you shouldn't go for joe hart you shouldn't go for <laughs> gazaniga um you you shouldn't go for for Galini, like though none of those players should ever have been in our consideration. That's very fair. Uh, Chris Lawrence says, once the January window closed, I immediately started to look ahead to the summer and think about what our plans are. It made me think back to the summer we signed Modric and the fact that we acted quickly and decisively to secure him, and we can all agree that this was a sensible and shrewd move on our part. Do you have any confidence that we are going to do the same this summer, given the importance Conte will place on new recruits and the need for a full pre-season with his squad? Personally, I have little faith in our ability to firstly identify appropriate players and secondly, do the business quickly. We will have to pay more for players this way, but not only does it show them how much we want them, I'm sure with Conte, he can make up the extra spend in earning from finishing higher up the league come the end of the season. I mean, I guess um, 
so I can sort of make a case either way with Paratici. I think I think he got the Nuno appointment so horrendously wrong, but then he did correct himself quite quickly, decisively getting rid of Nuno and getting Conte in. And I think Romero is, is a remarkable signing and a wonderful bit of business by Paratici. And I think equally... Although it seemed in the face of it like he was just going back to his old club and raiding them, the signings of Kulusevski and Bentancur speak to the ability to um, see that there are players who are currently undervalued in the market but have high potential. And I think they're really smart signings. I, I would like to to have signed a right wing back, a left centre back and a forward in January. Um, and I think, again, they, they go straight to the top of the priorities list for the summer window. Um but I do feel a bit better about Paratici being in charge of our business, given those three players that I've mentioned. I know I'm leaving some out who haven't done quite so well and who haven't necessarily had the same impact, but I feel okay. I feel okay about the summer, if I'm honest. How about you guys? Yeah, I feel pretty confident. We're not going to do it early because it's just, don't, it's just not the Tottenham way, unless somebody comes in and buys a few of our players quickly. But I feel pretty confident. His um his track record is decent. Kuliseski, Bentenko, Romero, as you said, are fine. Fellini's alone. Emerson was a roll of the dice to play right back. Yeah, bought for the wrong system. See, that's... that's It's when you start getting to nitty-gritty, you can talk yourself out of it with Paratici because the appointment of Nuno was ridiculous. Um, the signing of Emerson to play under Nuno is not so ridiculous, but it also... <laughs> when you think of Emerson, you think, okay, you've got a defensive right wing back and then you go and appoint a manager who plays with wing backs. It doesn't fit at all. So where was the strategy there? What was he thinking? I don't. It's really difficult to kind of make a a defence of of that decision making. Um, the the, the only thing what gives me faith is we have a very we have a system now which our manager is wedded to, and there won't be any transfer made that doesn't fit this system, which mm. is a really good thing. Nathan, any thoughts on on the transfer dealings in the summer? Yeah, I mean the getting things done. Anything I just isn't just isn't like economically. No. Where we're at, but, is it? but you can understand, you know, with with a manager like Conte who has a very precise system, um, and it does require players to all be on the same page. Um, you can understand him wanting the players as early as possible. Having said that, look at the way Kulusevski and Bentancur have just come in and hit the ground running yeah. in his system. I, I I think that that there is a sort of a great insecurity in the Spurs fan base um, about getting things right for Conte. But with that said. I do think that we need to appease him. I do think that we need to give him assurances. I don't think that, uh, I think that if we make no signings up until deadline day, you know, the season started, it's already been running a couple of weeks. He's had to do all his preseason. Um, then, okay. Yeah. I will, I will become a member of, of the panic and say he could walk because those are the circumstances, um, that he has walked in before, you know, um, yeah, we, we need to get business done, uh, uh, you know, relatively early and, and we need to spend and we need to back him for sure. Like, like I, I, I've kind of taken the mick out of Spurs fans for like really getting over the top with this kind of stuff. Um, and, and being so terrified and, and, and using any stick they can possibly find to beat Levy. But <laughs> there is, <laughs> there is some truth to that. There is, there is some reality to that for sure. Mm. There needs to be like, um, a show of faith that like this isn't just another summer but this is a serious intention to 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 recognize the managerial talent that we have yeah 
and the kind of the place that we are at as a club, the the crossroads that we're at, I think. I think that's fair. I, th- I think that's completely fair enough. Uh, Lenny D says, how are our loaned first team players faring and how do you think it's affecting their value on the potential market for an outgoing this summer? So um, Giovanni De Celso and Tonki and Dombele. Um, Lo Celso has been playing pretty much as a, as a striker for Villarreal. Yeah, as as he was last time, he was in Spain. Kind of weird. Um, so there was some Indomitian news the other day that um, he's disappointed or whatever. Uh, like, sorry, he's disappointed, Leon, I mean, not he himself is feeling disappointed. <laughs> and that, that as a result, they're not going to activate their buy clause. But like, the buy clause is as much as we paid for him in the first place. It's way, way, way beyond anything Leon have ever played for a player. Anything beyond their budget. Like, it was never going to be a fee that they could possibly afford. Mm. Like we said before at the time, on this podcast, it wasn't really for them. It's a message to other clubs that this is the kind mm-hmm. of amount that we're looking for. Um, so the idea that, like, uh, like he hasn't been so incredibly good that Leon are prepared to, like, pay three times as much as they ever had for a player. Um, he played all but one game. I think he missed a game. I don't know if, like, there's been some sort of thing in training or if there's been a, um, an attitude thing or whatever else. Um, but he, he's been really good when he's played. He's not been absolutely ridiculously incredible. He's not been as good as he was when he was there before. Maybe he's not been as good as Grimerich has been in his place, um, like earlier this season, but he's been really good. Um, and again, the target for that isn't Leon, it's, it's PSG, you know? Mm-hmm. And what about the Celso? Do you think he could feasibly sign for Villarreal? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not really sure how well he's getting on other than you said he's, he's playing up front. Um, just having a look where they are in the table. Have we got anyone else out? Uh, so not not from the first team. Um, we have Villarreal seventh, by the way, in the table. Okay. Uh, so we the other players we have out on loan are Cameron Carter-Vickers. Cameron Carter-Vickers is <laughs> Celtic. He's been on loan for a decade now, it seems. Uh, surely he'll finally join Celtic. He's yeah, doing really, so. really, really well there and they like him. Uh, that's good. We've got Alfie Whiteman, who's now 23, which is, you know, getting to the age now where he needs to be playing regularly. He's back at Degerfors. Uh Jack Clark is at, at Sunderland. He's doing a really good job for Sunderland. Um, uh, in fact, Rich Arrowsmith uh, gave us some some um, scouting notes on him. He was at his last uh, performance and uh, was very impressed with Clark. He scored a good goal a couple of weeks back has sort of forced his way into a what was a fairly settled Sunderland team and doing decently in League One. Uh Keon Atete is at Cheltenham in League One. He's he's scoring some goals at that level, which is really, really impressive. I didn't think that Atete would be an instant hit in League One, but uh, I was certainly wrong there. Uh, Troy Parrott we've discussed already, as we have Pape Matassar. And then finally, Niall John is at Charlton, and this loan has been a catastrophic failure so far. I mean, so it sounded like Chris Powell had done a lot of groundwork to secure a loan to Charlton, whose manager is former Spurs midfielder Johnny Jackson. And the issue is that Charlton have a lot of other loan players. They're limited to the number of loan players they can have in their matchday squad at any one time. And they've also got a lot of midfielders. So Niall John has mostly not been in the squad on match day and has actually been turning out for the under 23s, which is a ridiculous mm. situation to be in. He's, he's easily good enough to play league two football, 
probably comfortably good enough to play League One football and would be benefiting more from playing in our Premier League Two side at the moment. So it's a preposterous situation to be in and one I hope we don't repeat. I mean, I wouldn't be sending any players to Charlton in the near future, put it that way. Uh, Noel John's good and this needs to be seen as a very disappointing loan for his development, I think. Before we go, just for one last time, remind you to check out pleatees.com, P-L-E-A-T-E-E-S.com. Uh, go and find their tweet at Pleatees, uh, where they mentioned the free t-shirt. Like the tweet, give them a follow, tag a Spurs supporting friend, and you'll be in the running to win one of their shirts. The winner will be selected before the Newcastle game. Check them out. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, The Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.